Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock, recording from Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Indiana State Chief Privacy Officer Ted Cotterell, who works in Indiana's Management Performance Hub, or MPH. Today, we'll be talking with Ted about the work of the MPH around data analytics, as well as his role around privacy and the state of privacy in a COVID-19 world. Ted, welcome, and thanks for joining us on NASIO Voices. Thanks, Amy. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, it's really good to talk to you. We've known each other for a couple of years now, and I should also mention that you are our newest co-chair of the NASIO Privacy and Data Protection Working Group, so we're really glad to have your leadership there. But first, tell us, how are things going in Indiana, and what are you doing to stay grounded during the pandemic? You know, things are really great. Obviously, the pandemic is impacting us similarly to the rest of the nation. To stay grounded, I really think it's important to see the opportunity in this, isn't it? Um, in my case, my wife and I are we're renovating an old house, and it keeps us pretty busy outside of work. Evenings and weekends are always, you know, filled with a list of projects that, when we get to check them off the list, makes me feel like we've really accomplished something that day. And I guess I'd say it's the incremental progress here that's keeping me grounded. Oh, that sounds awesome. My eyes, my eyebrows went up when you said renovating an old house. That sounds like fun. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> So, so Ted, you are the first chief privacy officer we've had on this podcast. Our last episode, we had our first chief information security officer. So we're just uh, breaking records every episode. But, but tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional background. Would also love to hear how you came to be the CPO for the Indiana Management Performance Hub. Right. Yeah, I'm the, you know, I'm a Hoosier by birth. I came into the workforce during the Great Recession. Uh, which, as you know, presented just a host of opportunities to those of us that did. And after several legislative internships, you know, in and around the the state's General Assembly, my first few years in state government were primarily focused on information governance. During that time, I went to uh, IU at night for law school. And later, I was really, I moved away from information governance and more into the healthcare sector. I served for a while as the state's pharmacy director, started to learn HIPAA and the things uh, that come with healthcare there, and then moved over and worked under our former state CIO, managing IN.gov, and all of the, the tech contracts and the projects that come with, with managing an enterprise web portal. So I, I guess what I'd say is I didn't see it at the time. But between the information governance, HIPAA and, and FERPA came with that first piece as well. All of these, you know, healthcare privacy, education privacy, they really gave me a strong foundation, I think, for what I'm doing today as the state CPO. Yeah, that's great. And I just wanted to take a minute to explain to listeners who might be wondering about the state chief privacy officer role about 13 states by our count right now have a CPO, so it's definitely not every state. And at the beginning of last year, I spent some time talking to all of the CPOs at the time, and I was just kind of curious about what that role looked like in different states. We wrote a publication about it. You can find it on our website. You know, that role doesn't look the same at all across the country. You know, Ted, you're in the Management Performance Hub. Others may report to the Chief Information Security Officer. Others report to the CIO. Others might be in the insurance agency within the the state. So, you know, that position does really look different. A lot of the CPOs do have law degrees. A lot of them have certifications. So a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences too. So I just kind of wanted to 
to jump in before we went on and explain that a little bit? I'll just add to that. We've got with the Management Performance Hub, and I can share a little more about it, but it's sort of that enterprise data analytics agency that serves the business function of state government, right? Whereas enterprise IT is on the IT side. So we've got a chief information officer that NASIO is obviously very familiar with next to our chief data officer, and we operate real closely. Got it. So let's stay on MPH, the Management Performance Hub, a little bit, Ted, since we're talking about that. The MPH did win a NASIO award in 2018. I would be very interested in sort of hearing, you know, you explain sort of a, a little more about the organization and then just briefly touch on some of your initiatives. Definitely. You know, what started as an interesting idea, can we leverage data across silos to address the challenges that Hoosiers face? I really believe has has matured into a real asset for the state of Indiana and a standard bearer nationally. And you mentioned that 2018 Data and Analytics Award from NASIO. Thank you, one. And two, that, that, was, that was really a big achievement for us. We've talked about it a lot since and have used it as a, as a springboard to, to bring more people on board um, on the state side. So for those that don't know, the Management Performance Hub, or MPH as we call it, was formally created just in 2017. It's, it's positioned as Indiana's Enterprise Data Analytics Agency. And at the time, having just come into office with the opioid epidemic, hitting Indiana hard. Governor Eric Holcomb, to his credit, saw the need to more efficiently leverage data to ensure that policymakers have the most relevant information at their fingertips. So that's, that's really what we do at our core. It's connecting disparate data sets and leveraging those to ensure that those that are implementing policy or going through trying to understand something like COVID-19 or the opioid epidemic ensuring that they have the most valuable and relevant information available to them. Okay, so before we get into the privacy side of things, how does the MPH intersect with the work of Indiana's Chief Information Officer, Tracy Barnes, and his office? Closely and collaboratively. uh, Let me start by saying that I couldn't have been more pleased personally when I heard that Tracy had been appointed to serve as Indiana's CIO. I had worked with him previously in his capacity as chief of staff for Indiana's lieutenant governor and is co-chair of Indiana's executive council on cybersecurity. Tracy's a a thoughtful and respected leader around here, and I'm sure he's going to continue to push our technology posture even further. But with MPH as the state's data agency, we're really a sister agency to the Indiana Office of Technology, which Tracy directs. So think of MPH as, as enterprise data and Tracy's team at the Office of Technology much more broadly as enterprise IT for state government. Mm-hmm. Everything that MPH does, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud, uh, is done with guidance and support from Tracy and, of course, from his team. They've really been, they've been invaluable as we present new, innovative ideas to them. They're able to provide, time and time again, the right support to ensure that we can get these things across the finish line. Yeah, that's great. I remember, you know, when I first started working with NASIO, if you had said that something called data analytics is really interesting and amazing and makes your heart feel warm sometimes, that would have been unbelievable. But the kind of stuff that I've seen Indiana working on, like the infant mortality program and the opioid epidemic and the car crash site, you know, all of that stuff is you're taking all of this data and then translating that into something that is directly affecting your citizens. And I just think that's really amazing. 
Um, it's uh, every, every day is interesting with the, the kind of use cases that come to us from our agencies. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about privacy. What is your role in the MPH and in Indiana, and why is it important that the MPH have a chief privacy officer? Right. Again, I, I go back to the core purpose of MPH. So by operationalizing this, this idea that we're going to both combine data sets across silos to generate insights as well as, which I've talked about, but as well as to facilitate the availability of state data by external researchers and community organizations. With those two sort of prongs of our mission, we realized very quickly that there was a need for an overarching privacy perspective. It needed to be baked into the process, right? So, so we created the state CPO role in 2017 and as MPH's general counsel and with a background in information governance and some of these privacy laws like HIPAA and FERPA, I was fortunate enough to be given that opportunity to lead the privacy aspect of of our operation and to create Indiana's privacy program. Really since that time in 2017, I'd tell you that we, a, a few things that we've done, we formalized our state privacy policy for executive branch agencies. We've developed and implemented a number of privacy enhancing tools. A few worth mentioning here, a standardized HIPAA de-identification methodology for state government. What this does, the rubber meets the road, it enables agencies to unlock valuable research data that previously couldn't see the light of day and to do so in a way that that really respects the privacy of those data subjects. More recently, we created and implemented a a cloud-based virtual desktop environment. And this enables researchers to access those sensitive state data sets without physically sending any of this data to an external server, which of course is a big win for both, I think, privacy and security. And most recently, we're just getting ready to roll out our NIST-based privacy impact assessment framework for our executive branch agencies, which I'm particularly excited about. Oh, yeah, that's great. So, Ted, we talk a lot on this podcast about cybersecurity across the country. How does your work in privacy intersect with cybersecurity in your state? So, you know, well, it's funny, a former CISO of the state of Indiana is the individual that first suggested to me that we needed a state chief data officer and a state chief privacy officer, and that those roles should flow from this creation of MPH as we were going through this drafting what became the MPH statute. Needless to say, our relationship has remained pretty close since, both with that individual and those that have followed. You know, outside of the daily support that MPH sees from our state security team, my primary interaction with the CISO was during the formulation of our statewide cloud contracting boilerplate. Now, bear with me here. I know that sounds really exciting. (laughs) The then CIO had asked me to spearhead this effort, the goal of which was very simply to streamline the tech procurement process across state government, which when you say that to the procurement folks and to some of these these cloud service providers and just other, other state vendors, they do get excited because the government tech procurement process can be so arduous. So Over the course of several months, the CISO and I worked really closely together to develop what resulted in a seven-page contract exhibit that our agencies now leverage in their tech contracts, and it incorporates in a uniform way the key privacy, key cybersecurity provisions to ensure that state data is adequately protected, regardless of location or physical control. So that's all now in place, um, and it's used by our statewide procurement team to move tech contracts more quickly and he and I work closely on that. That's great to hear. And I know you mentioned the statute that created MPH in 
2017. Can you also discuss how you've worked with your state's legislature besides that statute creating MPH in 2017? Has there been any notable privacy or, or data legislation passed during your time as CPO? Definitely. So we've got a very strong working relationship with the members of the Indiana General Assembly. Obviously, they supported the creation of MPH in 2017. But since that time, we've had countless conversations about the potential areas where MPH can add value from the data perspective. I think they see us as a real asset, um, which we, of course, agree with. But whether it's responding to things like the opioid epidemic or the talent pipeline, you know, ensuring that today's students are, are prepared for tomorrow's workforce, or just the nuts and bolts of our operation, providing great government service at great value to taxpayers. There are a host of back office functions that we attempt to enhance for our agencies. These are all conversations with our legislature where MPH is mentioned over and over again as a key player, just to ensure that we make progress on these tough issues. I'd say from the privacy perspective specifically, the legislature called for MPH to govern privacy within the executive branch of state government, which we're, of course, actively doing. But we haven't seen anything in the legislature that's moved through from the consumer privacy perspective yet. Do you expect to see anything? Uh, no bills have been released for next session. I make it a habit to not try to predict what our General Assembly is going to do. Right. Um, but I'd be able to tell you at the beginning of next year. Got it. Speaking of the beginning of next year and the rest of this year, what are your main priorities as CPO looking forward during that time frame? First and foremost, uh, without a doubt, I'd say it's ensuring that we continue to be nimble to support this swift COVID-19 response that we've seen here. Because we had the enterprise data apparatus already in place, we were really able to begin to generate insights within hours rather than days or weeks. As new use cases arise for different data sets, you know, I'm often working with the leadership in those agencies to pull that new data in and to outline the uses and the guardrails for the initiative. So we want to keep doing that quickly. Uh, you know, a second piece of this is to continually enhance our talent partnerships. Throughout this pandemic, one thing that, is, that we've benefited from are these streamlined legal mechanisms that we've developed over the last few years that enable us to onboard highly qualified researchers in various areas. The goal with those is bring them in quickly, allow them to, to sit alongside our team. So for context, these are folks with PhD level subject matter expertise that typically live at our state universities. Mm -hmm. um, they sit alongside our team members informing our exploration of a particular area, say for instance, the opioid epidemic or like we're talking about the COVID-19 response and they do so at no cost to the state. Keeping that moving is a big one. I think lastly, I'd say in, in the privacy space specifically, I mentioned this NIST-based privacy impact assessment framework that we're getting ready to roll out. Mm -hmm. That's coming in the next several weeks, and I'm really looking forward to a number of conversations with agency privacy officers, general counsel, agency CIOs, the goal being there as with everything we do in our agency, to add value to those agencies, this time in the context of enhancing their respective privacy postures by working through this process. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of COVID-19, I know on our privacy and data protection working group, we've talked a fair bit over the last few months about how the pandemic is affecting privacy. So you've talked a little bit about how COVID-19 has impacted your work. So what are some of the challenges that it's created in the privacy space for you guys? 
Well, for starters, this might be broader than privacy, but privacy is definitely implicated. We've been remote since March, since the end of March. And I'd say thanks to the efforts of Tracy's team at the Office of Technology, it's been a very smooth transition from, right. a, from a tech perspective. Uh, they've, they've really risen to the occasion. With privacy specifically, again, I go back to Indiana's benefited from this already existing apparatus of MPH in our COVID-19 response in a number of ways. First, we had legal agreements to share the data already worked out. And this really enabled our team to continue to prioritize privacy-related processes, data reviews, and legal guardrails around engagements because they were already baked in. They weren't an afterthought. The second, we have this technical component in place in a way that MPH engages with a lasting record linkage across our various agencies. So that was ready for these COVID-related use cases to roll in. And then we were able to kick out uh, matched data visualized in a way that was beneficial for those policymakers. Additionally, from the technical perspective, I mentioned the virtual desktop environment, this place where researchers can access data without it leaving our environment physically. This has allowed us to quickly share COVID-related data sets with our state COVID-19 response team while maintaining, and this, this is the best part for me, while maintaining that data in our environment. So an additional privacy and security leap over the old way, I guess I'd say, of sharing data. And then lastly, we already had the business relationships and the executive support from the governor that all sort of came together to enable our state health commissioner and her team to act quickly. Much of the work that we've done from a data perspective has informed Indiana's COVID-19 response, the governor's back on track plan to safely reopen our state. I offer a shameless plug here for anybody that wants to do a deeper dive on those or to see our data visualizations related to the COVID-19 pandemic. You can visit coronavirus.in.gov and also our reopening plan is at backontrack.in.gov. Great. Yeah, we'll add those to our show notes for sure. Thanks. Yeah, that, that's great. So, Ted, the topic of exposure notification efforts and contact tracing apps has certainly been a popular subject in recent months across the country and among NASIO's membership. Given the potential for exposure of PII and sensitive health information, how do you see these efforts from a just from a purely privacy perspective? And then interested to hear your advice on how these efforts should be successfully set up and run. Yeah, that's a great question. You mentioned the apps specifically, and while these apps can be a, a component of a contact tracing program, health authorities really should ensure that the right perspectives are at the table from the start to implement a holistic approach to contact tracing. I would counsel them to prioritize first the adoption and the application of documented policies and procedures around information collection, use, and disposition. So these are in addition to all of the, the organizational training and the culture building that are going to come with a quick ramp up to respond to something like the COVID-19 pandemic, of course. But with these in place, with these documented policies and procedures that then folks are trained to follow, the app is going to serve as the engagement component while incorporating, of course, technical controls on the back end that bolster those policies and procedures. But this is going to limit sensitive data access to those with a legitimate and documented business need, um, and of course, allow for disruption following the use in accordance with 
you know, the tolling of some records retention requirement. Those are the important things that should lead the conversation. Yeah, it, it seems to me just in sort of talking to other state CIOs and, and seeing sort of what's already out there is, you know, all of these privacy safeguards are essential, but then the other aspect that I don't think we focused enough on is marketing this and getting citizen buy-in, right? Because ultimately you're gonna have to sell to every citizen across the state to opt into to these efforts. Right, and you know that's where I will completely defer to uh, the real experts, the epidemiologists that are, in our case, at the State Department of Health, who they do contact tracing. We have statutes that govern uh, how to conduct these sorts of operations. So they are the experts, and I would, I'd look to them to say, this is why this adds value for our state, right? For sure. But that should, be, that should be part of that conversation, too. That's a voice that needs to be at the table at the beginning of the discussion, along with the epidemiologists and the privacy folks and the security folks. Yeah, it, for sure. It's got to be, you know, essentially a whole of state approach to, to this if you want to do it successfully. All right, Ted. So we are going to switch gears here and go to a segment that we like to call the lightning round. Um, we're going to ask you or I'm going to ask you three questions about you and your life outside of work. Are you ready, sir? I am ready. All righty. Question number one, Ted. What is something you like to do outside of the office? Oh, man, I, I talked about renovating the old house, um, but with the warmer weather, it's really given me a chance to get outside more. And we're in the woods, so social distancing here is pretty easy when I'm doing something like clearing brush, splitting wood, all the things that come with being out here. I'd say I, I feel like it offers a bit of a balance to me with my days filled with legal and policy work on the computer. Mm -hmm. Right. Sitting inside, being able to get outside. That, that's right. great. Question number two, if you had followed your childhood career dreams, what would you be doing right now? I think I'm doing it. Honestly, <laughs> uh, this, this is probably not the most exciting answer, but I've got a family that's filled with journalists and attorneys. So uh, with my law degree in hand, I've, I've sort of been able to do legal work. But then, you know, being at MPH and in its infancy, being able to help tell that story. I think I'm using both of those skills. Written yeah, in the stars. That, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Right. I, I think I wanted to be a baseball player growing up that didn't really work out. Um, all right. And then question number three. I'm very interested to hear this. What is one thing you have learned about yourself during the pandemic? Very introspective um, here on NASIO Voices, Ted. Yeah. Um, I think I've learned part of this is being at home and with the shutdown uh, that we initially experienced across the country, I, I've learned to slow down, take things in a bit more. So we're living through very challenging, very unique times right now. And I've, I've thought about this and I, I really believe that with a more thoughtful approach individually, you know, what can I do? That we've all got the capacity to come out of this sort of a stronger and more unified as a society. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, that's I something that I feel so. I seem to be taken away from it. Yeah. No, that's really that's really good. And uh, I know Amy and I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago that, you know, at least from my perspective, I've kind of figured out, you know, how much of an extrovert I am and uh, how tough it's been to be away from people. But I am optimistic that we will get through this and, and be better on the other side. 
All right. Well, Ted, thank you so much for joining us on the Nassio Voices podcast. It's been really great catching up with you and learning more about your work. I appreciate the chance. All right. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to Nassio Voices. If you are a Nassio member and you liked this conversation, consider joining the Nassio Privacy and Data Protection Working Group, where we have monthly webinars on privacy-related topics. It's open to all Nassio members. Go to nassio.org to join and find out more. Have a great day. Stay safe, wear sunscreen, wear a mask, and we'll talk to you again soon.